Views and opinions expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of their employers. This podcast may not be suitable for children. Adults may find details triggering and or offensive. Listener's discretion is advised. Action. Hi, everyone. This is Norma. (laughs) And this is Priscilla. And you're listening to... It's the mystery for for me. me. It's been a minute, but we're back. Did you miss us? I think people missed us. Yeah. People were saying in the comments to me, at least, to get well soon. And I appreciate all of the well wishes. Some of y'all was like, Norma, get well soon. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? Let me not even correct too many of y'all. It's fine. I'm usually always sick, too. So, yeah. I was recovering. I didn't even I didn't even go to work on those days but i did work from home because you just can't really i don't know in big law you don't really call out of work if you're sick especially in the work from home environment and i think that's every field now especially with people working from home right it's getting hard to draw the line between like work and like not just working being, and just being sick and sick and just being at home and stuff trying like to get that. better Mm-mm. Now with the whole work from home culture, it's just really, really messing with it's I think the work from home culture is kind of creating gray areas. Like there are pluses to it, but there's definitely a lot of negatives to it. Mm-hmm. An update on CrimeCon. We won't be at CrimeCon this year. And that's okay. I'll be on vacation the next week though from work, but not from y'all, because we will be dropping an episode when I'm out. As a matter of fact, I don't know if we're gonna not gonna, I'm trying to think of the next time we won't be airing an episode and likely it's around Memorial Day weekend. So we have like back-to-back episodes coming up for the next few weeks. Or I don't know if I mentioned to you that like we were tagged in a crime con post and it was someone basically calling them out for not having black true crime podcasts at the show as they should so i'm glad that they called them out because yeah apparently out of the 50 podcasts that they picked only 48 well only two sorry it's like 48 i was gonna say only 48 were white <laughs> only only two were by black people for black people for the culture or for minorities That's generally really problematic yeah i just was like wow and I saw a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the other black true crime podcasts that are popular, like Black Girl Gone, the creator of that commented on the post. I know Sisters Who Kill, like, liked the post or something, like the comment that the person left, whatever. But, you know, I don't think it's something that a lot of people want to touch with a 10-foot pole because these people help to get things on platforms, right? So it's like, if you burn a bridge with them then your voice is even more silenced if that Mm -hmm. makes sense so i think that's probably why the other two black true crime podcasts that were actually picked maybe they didn't see the comment but maybe they're just like you know what let me not even say anything um and honestly that's kind of how it works sometimes in the real world too like you're Mm -hmm. afraid to say anything um but I'm not. I don't really care if they pick us or not, ever. (laughs) If I'm keeping it real. I know. I really don't care because, like, for me, the numbers speak volumes. We just crossed 100,000 downloads for the podcast, according to just Buzzsprout. Like, if I look at Apple Podcasts and Spotify, we've been crossed that number. But I just, I try to just look at Buzzsprout that way I don't confuse myself with all the other metrics. But numbers don't lie, you know what I'm saying? So with or without an invitation, that's kind of on them. We're going to keep telling these stories, whether or not we get invited to CrimeCon. So there's that. I guess we can go ahead and turn to this week's story. 
For this week's story, we are covering a case that will take us to Detroit, Michigan in 2011. But before we dive deeper into that, I'll just, you know, of course, rattle off some of the sources for today's episode, which includes an episode... Which rattle is, off? Rattle off. What the fuck does that mean? Norma, you've never heard someone say rattle off? No. Okay, I'm going to say some of the sources. I've never heard you've that. You've never heard that? No. You've never been around white people before? I've been <laughs> around a lot of white people. Rattle off. Tongue. Rattle off the top of my head. Like, I'm just going to rattle. Okay, anyways. The sources for today's episode includes an episode from Exhibit A, which is a Netflix series, Season 1, Episode 4, and the title of that episode is Cadaver Dogs. I also watch Crime Watch Daily, which is on YouTube. I read articles from Click on Detroit and Medium, plus many more sources. And for all of today's sources and pictures, etc., you can check out our website, it's the mysteryforme.com, which is linked in the show notes. Today's story takes us to Detroit, Michigan, specifically to the year 2011. This is the Bianca Jones story. Not much is known about Bianca Jones other than the fact that she was two years old in 2011. She had cute, bushy brows. She was just like a little, tiny, adorable human. And I think the reason that a lot isn't known about her is just because what else can you say about a two-year-old? <laughs> like, what yeah. else can you say about a two-year-old other than they were adorable and all these things, right? Like, she wasn't in school yet or anything like that. So the story is really told by her family members. So Bianca, before I get in, like, you're probably already confused, but... I am. I was not <laughs> expecting you to say that she's a two-year-old. You weren't expecting that? No. Okay, well... Yeah, that's probably a good point. I should probably give a trigger warning that today's episode involves a minor. As always, listener's discretion is advised. According to Exhibit A, Benika was Bianca's mom, and she was a veteran. Though they don't really get into details about, you know, what she served in, whether it was Army, Marines, that kind of thing. I just know she was a veteran. And I also don't know her age, but I'm guessing that in 2011, she would have been like late 20s, early 30s. Because Bianca's dad, DeAndre, he was 32 in 2011. Mm -hmm. And Benika and DeAndre met when she was 16 years old. And so they were on and off for a very long time before they had Bianca. According to a Medium article on the case, DeAndre was looking to get into real estate in 2011 and was studying, of course, for his real estate exam. In 2011, DeAndre was engaged to a woman named Angeli, who he had a two-year-old daughter with. For context, DeAndre had seven kids with seven different women. <laughs> Norma. Oh Norma's face. <laughs> Maybe we should record this live because your face expressions just give it away. Um, yeah, but but stories full of surprises yeah, right at but, the beginning. I know, but but the good thing about it was that he was present in all of his kids' lives. Nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. All of the women like could agree that. They so Nick Cannon. Okay. <laughs> Nick Cannon. Nick Cannon is problematic, and I won't even get into that. Like he's just whatever. Um. Yeah, all the moms basically agreed that he was a a good dad, okay? Nick Cannon, I'm going to just, you know, you've mentioned him, so I'm just going to say, I think Nick Cannon, whatever he wants to do, that's on him. But I just feel like there's a lot of women that are part of the Nick Cannon situation that clearly have feelings for him. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, like, him just... Preg- you know, getting someone pregnant like every few months must be devastating for the last woman who he got pregnant. And sure, they could have an understanding, but I just can't imagine like, okay, out of the however many kids he has, that all women, all of the women he was involved with, all agreed to this. Like right. that doesn't really seem to be the case. Mm-hmm. Some people are just open to different things. I just, for me, it's like a probability thing. What are the chances that all of them are on the same page? I just think it's a low chance that that is the case. Mm-hmm. Okay. Done with Nick Cannon. Back to Bianca Jones. So in 2011, DeAndre was living with his fiance Angelie, and 
they had a two-year-old daughter together. So Bianca would just share her bed with Angeli's daughter, right, who was mm-hmm. her sister. Around Thanksgiving, Bianca started staying with her dad. And it's said that her mom just kind of wanted her to spend more time with her dad and with her other siblings. Um, And she was also in the midst of being potty trained at this time. And so she was not wearing diapers. She was mostly wearing just regular underwear. Some sources say that she was wearing pull-ups, but she was just in her potty training stage. So sometimes Mm -hmm. she had accidents. And yes, this is relevant to the story. On December 1st, 2011, Bianca wet the bed. Now, no one in the story ever contests this fact, okay? She wet the bed. DeAndre's fiance, Angeli, said that she heard Bianca crying, like, very loudly because he had hit her with a paddle. And this paddle becomes, like, a big deal in this case, too. The paddle was homemade. It was made out of wood. One end was covered with duct tape. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just odd, but yeah. Like to hold it for like gripping purposes for the person holding it? I think so. That's why I would... But I think it's like for gripping purposes, yeah. Yeah. Because I would think like the other side is for spanking. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> Avoiding splinters. Right. Well, damn, Norma. What? I'm sorry. <laughs> How do you know this? I was in a sorority. We had paddles. Right. That okay. we used. Okay. Anyways... You were in a sorority or you are still in I a mean, sorority? I'm still in a sorority. Yes, okay. I'm still in a sorority. Not that we use paddles for that purposes. We used it to decorate it with our Greek letters. Hint, it is not a divine nine sorority. <laughs> I know, unfortunately. Sadly. Okay, so this him him hitting her with this wooden paddle was not out of the norm. This was his way of disciplining his children. So, so what went wrong? So let's fast forward now to the day that leads to the questionable events in this story. So according to the Medium article, on the morning of December 2nd, 2011, DeAndre dropped off his daughter, Bella, who was seven years old at the time, and Bianca's cousin, Travion, who was 15 years old, at school. Bianca was in the car with them at that point in time. Afterwards, he had plans to go to Bianca's mom's house because Mm -hmm. she had decided she wanted him to keep Bianca until like around Christmas time. Um, And apparently she was searching for a job. She was doing a bunch of things, but they were like in a co-parenting relationship, right? Like they Mm -hmm. had a good co-parenting thing going on. So he was like, cool, I'm just going to stop by to pick up more clothes. So at around 9.45 a.m., he heard someone yell, that his lights were out, like, as he was driving. I guess he had the windows down. Mind you, it's December, because now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, it's December. But okay. Um, He had his window, or maybe the person, I guess, you know what? Sometimes someone could yell loud enough that you could hear even with the windows up. Right? I don't think so. Okay. (laughs) Well, if they're, like, the cops, well, they're using a damn... Audio, maybe boom, they're, phone. I don't even Maybe know. they're motioning to him, like, to roll down his window to, like... Well, they were behind him. So these people <laughs> in a red car were behind him. And they okay. yelled at him that his back lights were out. So he pulled over, and they pulled over behind him. He gets out the car, and someone comes out of the car. He says it was a black male, and he has a gun. And he tells him, like, basically, like, give me the damn car blah 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 and he's like you know my daughter's in the car because Bianca was still in the back seat he had dropped off the other kids and the guy just got in the car anyways and took off and apparently he chases the car meanwhile remember the guy got out of a red sedan so the red sedan is still chilling there so he chases the his car okay with Bianca in it he's on foot and the guy just keeps going. He can't keep up. So then he turns and runs back the other way. But the red car apparently also gets away somehow. So at this point, he doesn't call 911. It is 2011, so I'm pretty sure he has a cell phone. But he's so close to Bianca's mom's house that he just finds a way there. They're, okay, so they're not even too clear on this. Like, does he walk there like does he catch a ride it just seems to me like he might have just like walked slash ran there the 911 call comes in at around 9 47 ish 
again, these timelines and like the time is a little shaky because technically I said it around 9.45, someone mm-hmm. said this. So mm-hmm. just know it's like give or take a few minutes and I'm just trying to put together the information as best as I can from the different sources. But then, okay, within a few minutes, he gets to Bianca's mom's house. He is inconsolable. He's screaming and stuff at her house. Um, her mom, Benika, is not there, but her grandmother is there and her mom's brother and his wife are there because they live there at the house too. So the brothers, well, it's not really his wife, it's, but you know how it is in black family. Yo, in any family, when you're dating somebody for years, it's might as, you might as well call them the wife. Mm-hmm. Anyways, the brother's girlfriend is the one that calls 911 and she's like, hey, like, you know, my niece is missing. Like her dad just came in the door. He's hysterical. And, you know, they send units out right away. She's trying to ask him questions about, like, descriptions of the car and stuff like that. But he's, like, inconsolable. But it's to the point that if you're listening to it, you just want to, like, smack him and be like, say something, say something. Because they try to give him the phone and it's like, nothing's coming out. And they're looking at him and saying, DeAndre, come on, say something. But I guess, at you know, the other side of it is that it's a traumatic situation, mm-hmm. you know, and so you don't know until you're in it. So the operator is trying to ask him, you know, the kind of car, if there was a weapon, et cetera. But like I said, DeAndre's just kind of like not able to speak. And like, eventually they do find the car within minutes. So mm-hmm. it's still like early in the morning. This is around like 10 something in the morning. They find the car a half a mile away from where it was carjacked and it's still running. And Bianca's not in the car. No one is in the car. So the FBI immediately gets involved into this case. Like, they are not playing any games. As far as, like, a description of the person who took the car, I read conflicting things. On the media, In the Medium article, it says that DeAndre gave a description of the guy saying, kind of like what I mentioned a little bit, that he was black, that he was... Um, well, that's all I mentioned in the beginning. But yeah. he also said that he was between 25 to 30 years old, that he was around six foot, that he was 185 pounds, okay? Also went on to say via the Medium article that this person was wearing a black t-shirt, black pants, and a brown and black baseball cap. However, on the Exhibit A episode, DeAndre says the person was wearing a mask. And now I'm wondering... Clearly, there were two people, right? There was a guy that was still driving the red car and then Mm -hmm. the guy that got out. So I'm just wondering if, like, this is a description for both people, right? But no one has, like, said that in these articles or made it clear on the TV show. So it is kind of confusing because there is an actual sketch in the Medium article. So it really threw me for a loop. Um, And so I'm not sure which one of the the people he's talking about. Mm -hmm. So like I said, the FBI gets involved. Um, So does the local Detroit Police Department. And they are immediately suspicious of DeAndre. I think what sets off their alarm bells at first is the fact that they find the car empty without Bianca in it within a few minutes of the 911 call being made. So to them, they felt like, you know, most carjackings, when there's kids in the car, they usually abandon the car with the kid in it. Mm-hmm. They don't take the kid. So for them, that set off alarm bells that the kid was gone. The FBI also flew in a cadaver dog from Europe. So cadaver dogs are meant to be able to pick up certain scents associated with someone dying or, well, with someone being dead. On top of that, they asked for the trash to not be collected around that part of town that DeAndre said he was carjacked in. Of course, in the Exhibit A episode, they kind of like lump everything together. So his lawyer, DeAndre's lawyer, was kind of saying like, well, look at it from the beginning. From the beginning, they presumed that she was dead. They were not, you know, they called off the trash. They flew in the cadaver dog. They didn't fly in a, you know, they didn't use their canine unit, local dog, to Mm -hmm. just, like, sniff around. They flew in a cadaver dog um, that the FBI specifically worked with in cases of, well, when people are dead and they're looking for someone who's dead. His attorney is just like, huh, that should make you wonder. Why do you think that they just, instead of looking for her and having a different type of response, why do you think they responded in this way? Like, I understand his attorney's point, but I think that i don't you don't (laughs) 
Wait, tell me. Why don't you? Okay. No, I, I do, but I just, I don't know where he's trying to really go with it or where that's going to lead to. Do you understand what I'm saying or no? No, I don't understand. <laughs> so you so you don't agree with the attorney that they were jumping the gun? Oh, yeah. No, I, yes. I do believe that they're jumping the gun. Okay, you believe that. Okay. part of me wants to know if this is like, just routine for them in this kind of case yes it's a two-year-old you know like i don't know that yeah so i don't it's the attorney their word against the fbi's routine and i'm just trying to understand no you're right that's no that's exactly what i was gonna say actually that i wasn't sure because i don't know what the fbi routine is i have to say that in every source i read the cops solely focused and the FBI solely focused on DeAndre. I never read about another suspect coming up at all. Hmm. No other, you know, persons of interest, things like that. I didn't see anything about that. So they only focused on the father. Yes. Um, and they found the car like a half a mile. Yes. Did they dust the car for like fingerprints? Did anything else come up? So they didn't. Well. Listen, they might have dusted for prints, but they didn't mention that in the show. But the cadaver dog that they brought, right, on December 4th. So this is like, what, only two days later? Because it happened on December 2nd? Yeah. So only two days later, they bring the cadaver dog to a warehouse where there are 31 cars. And in that warehouse is the car that was carjacked. Mm. This cadaver dog is trained to pick up on basically decaying. Like, what is it called when someone's decaying? Like, not death, like, it's... Decomposition? Yes. This, (laughs) yes, that's what it is. This cadaver dog is trained to pick up on smells of decomposition. So they let it loose in the warehouse. It goes directly to the car that was carjacked, DeAndre's car. It goes and it barks at the undercarriage of the car and it barks at Bianca's seat in the car. It even barks at the trunk of the car. And that was its sign. Like that was how the person trained it. Like when you smell it, bark. The trainer knew right away, okay, yeah, the dog is smelling decomposition in this car. And DeAndre's lawyer would later point out, and I know we're not really at the lawyering part, right? Cause we haven't even gotten to his investigation yet. But spoiler alert, he does end up getting a lawyer. And his lawyer kind of points out the fact that like with this dog, how do you know that it was Bianca's body that was decomposing in the car? Like, how do you know it was her scent? Which at first I was like, hmm, interesting. Or like, but what are you trying to get at? Are you saying that someone else was killed in this car? Do you know what I mean? Right, yeah. Because... He kind of gave the example of like, what if someone died in your home and then the police brought a dog years later and they could pick up on the scent? But I I don't know really what to do with that. I think, hmm, I think that's a tough one, especially because the dog was also brought to DeAndre's home and it barked at Bianca's bed, meaning that it smelled decomposition. Hmm. Right. So does she die at home? Right. So you know, like what in exactly car? happened? Yeah. And that but that's initially like what I'm thinking. Did she die at home and was she placed in the car? And then, you know, this carjacking thing scenario, is it true? But I also remember the fact that like he had other kids in the car with her. He drove kids to school that morning. Mm-hmm. So no worries, y'all. We gonna get there too. Let me talk to y'all about Bianca's dad getting questioned by the FBI and the police. And I think that will help us to connect the dots in the story, or at least try to. So the FBI takes DeAndre on a ride along around the neighborhood of where this carjacking supposedly happened. They describe him as being a little tense and there is footage in the Exhibit A episode, so you can judge for yourself, but When I watched the footage, it sounded to me like they kind of had already made up their mind and the way they were talking to him was very, was like questioning him, right? Like they're, like he'd give an answer and they're questioning his every answer. That's the Mm -hmm. vibe I got from watching it. And that FBI interview apparently happened December 9th around that time. So basically they were doubting his story. And at one point they were asking him like, really are you sure you were on this side of the street because like when we check like cell phone pings you were actually 
at this point and blah, blah, blah. So it got a little confusing and he clearly seemed confused, but he was kind of adamant, like, no, this is where I was when it happened and stuff like that. If the FBI was questioning me, though, I'd be a little scared, too. And DeAndre Mm -hmm. did have a rap sheet. He did have a conviction for assault with the intent to commit armed robbery and for drug and firearm offenses. But the last time he was arrested for anything was like in 2003 or 2004. So it had been like eight years. But I mean, listen, you're dealing with someone like the FBI or cops, you might get a little nervous, Mm -hmm. you know? So I was like, all right, I'm gonna take this interview as a grain of salt. But then the cops, the Detroit Police Department interviews DeAndre at the station. Now, I'm assuming this interview happened before December 9th, but again, they it's kind of annoying because the show, the shows that I watched and stuff, they didn't tell me when it happened. Like I knew when the FBI interview happened, but they didn't say like, "Hey, this is when he was interrogated down at the office." Mm. And for all I know, FBI agents could have been sitting with him in the interrogation room, but they didn't specify that either. So let me tell you what happened during the interrogation. Okay, Crime Watch Daily actually shows a few clips of the police interviewing DeAndre, and unsurprisingly, they're just yelling at him. I feel like that is typical cops tactic. They just yell at you and tell you you did it, and that's kind of what they said. They said to him, that carjacking did not occur. You parked that fucking car and walked away. Like, and he got up, y'all. And this, again, Crime Watch Daily. This is where you're going to get that video. He gets up and he's just like, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And I honestly, watching that, I was like, I don't know if he did it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I understand some people have psychotic tendencies. Some people have, you know, you know, some people can lie about shit. But in that moment, I was like, damn, I'm not really sure. Okay. And, you know, they just kept pressing him, pressing him. They said to him, initially, we believed you until the case was investigated. And I was just like, huh? Okay. Um, All we have so far, if we think about the evidence, is like the dog barking at things. Mm -hmm. That's all we got, okay? Mm -hmm. And okay, so I was just like, so what do you mean by investigated? Again, maybe they did get cell phone pings because they seem to mention that in the FBI interview, but I never read any more details about the cell phone ping. He does admit to hitting Bianca, like I talked about earlier, for wetting the bed. But he says, you know, that was his routine. It wasn't physical abuse. And like all of his, all the mothers of his children all said like he was not that type of person that was going to like abuse the kid. You're probably wondering if he had a lawyer at this point, because I had mentioned his lawyer before, whose name is Terry, by the way. He did not have a lawyer at this point when he's talking to the cops. It looks like he waived his Miranda rights. That's not a good idea. Right. Not a good idea. As the interview goes on, he takes a polygraph test and he fails it. His attorney that he hires later on says that he feels like it was not administered correctly. And that's why DeAndre failed. But he would not elaborate on like what exactly was wrong. They ended up arresting DeAndre, but not for the disappearance of Bianca. They arrested him because he had an outstanding warrant from a restraining order violation he had. Um, His ex-wife had a restraining order against him and he had violated it at some point. They didn't say when, but cops love it when you have an outstanding warrant and they're trying to get you on something else. They're like, ooh, we can hold them for another reason. We can hold you because if they don't have something, there's like usually a limit on time, right? There's usually Mm -hmm. a limit on how long they can hold you if they Mm -hmm. don't have anything else. And right now, like we said, they just had the dog barking. Um, luckily he does eventually lawyer up, like I said, with Terry, and he never, ever confesses to the disappearance of Bianca, ever. He always says, like, no, it wasn't me. Like, somebody carjacked us. Aside from- Were there any, like, witnesses to this? It's just- No. There were no witnesses to this that came forward. It's just so interesting, because I would- I would think at least- when the car is being carjacked and he's chasing after the car that he'd be screaming yelling you know like causing some sort of scene that someone would come out of their house to be like what's going on right that's a little strange that's what i said too i'm like it's it's not that early in the morning it's 9 45 ish there might be people driving it wasn't like he was in the middle of nowhere he was like in detroit in like, you know, just the streets of Detroit. So I don't know. 
they eventually do end up testing like the blanket in Bianca's room and it comes back as positive for her blood on the blanket. Just like a drop of blood though, like barely there and some saliva and mucus. And when they ask her mom, Banika, about it and what she thinks about it, she's like, kids get runny nose. And if it's like irritated enough, like you might have a drop of blood. Mm -hmm. DeAndre also mentions that the night before she disappears, she fell out of bed and he had to keep her up like for a few hours to make sure she didn't have a concussion. And her cousin, um, Travion, who's also like DeAndre's nephew he says like yeah he saw deandre in the living room with bianca like four or five in the morning just trying to keep her up um and make sure she was like you know conscious and he saw her like travion Mm. was sitting there with deandre and bianca so he saw that yes she would have still been alive on december 2nd in the wee hours at this point in the story i'm wondering how y'all feel i'm wondering if y'all are thinking that deandre did it Or if you feel like, ah, something ain't right. Or maybe you feel like, okay, I got to hear the rest of the facts before I make up my mind. What side of it are you on, Norma? How are you feeling right now about this? I need to hear the rest of the story. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Do you, you don't feel one way or another right now? Like that he did it or he didn't do it? I mean, the whole carjacking situation, there not being any witnesses, I think that that's the biggest thing that... Like, that's the biggest red flag for me. Mm. Because it's just kind of like, that's a very chaotic thing to happen. Um, you're not in the middle of nowhere. You're clearly yeah. in a neighborhood. Like, people are going to notice. Right. You know? So that's really just bizarre for me. But other than that, I want to hear what else you got for me. Yeah. What else you got for us. Okay. Okay, so I came across an article from Click on Detroit. And it talks about... Three people who say they saw Bianca alive after she was supposedly killed slash disappeared. Because remember, technically the police, what they're thinking is that DeAndre killed Bianca the night before, drove her in the car with her like cousin and her sister. They, you know, went to school, dropped those people off, you know, and then like, I don't know, got rid of Bianca's body. Okay, so here are the three people. So first is Travion, right? Bianca's cousin slash DeAndre's nephew. He said he saw Bianca alive in the morning before DeAndre drove him and Bella, who's like his seven-year-old daughter, to school. He said he saw DeAndre put Bianca's coat on her. And he said that she was alive when DeAndre did this. He says, I am 15. I've seen a dead body. I would know if she was dead, which I thought was kind of sad. That's, he said that. That's not what I was expecting you to say. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't expecting to hear that. I was just like, damn. But police theorize, like I said, that Bianca was already dead at this point and DeAndre dressed her up slash acted like normal, like nothing had happened. So that he didn't draw attention from like Travion, for example. But the next person who says that they saw bianca was a detroit police officer named nikki gibbs she's now retired by the way she says that after the disappearance about eight days later she went to a house in detroit that was owned by someone named patrice hall and she went to the house because of an unrelated domestic violence call when she went into the house she saw bianca there she didn't realize it was bianca she just took note of a kid with bushy eyebrows like a little girl She said that she asked the person there, like, and I don't know if it was Patrice or someone else, they weren't specific. She asked them, like, what the girl's name was. And, like, I don't know, the person's response was, like, a little strange, as if, like, they didn't really know her name. So she was like, huh. So two days later, she's, like, at work on her computer, and she sees a picture of Bianca saying that she's missing. And she's like, oh, my goodness, this is the girl that I saw. She tries to tell people in the homicide department about it. And apparently they were just like, no, let it go. She's dead. Like, let it go. And that was that. You look really confused right now. Yeah, because it's just kind of like, I don't know. They couldn't get child protective services involved. Like if they saw something weird, if they felt that they couldn't um, 
I guess, intervene. I'm, I just have so many questions. I had the same question because for me personally, I was like, you're a cop. Can't you, if you thought something was off, couldn't you just go back yourself? Like, even if they said no, couldn't you go back with some of your colleagues, whoever, just to see? I don't know. Take a picture? I don't know if you can. I mean, you're, I feel like cops, I mean, they abuse their authority all the time. This is an abuse of an authority that I would approve of. Knocking on the door and just saying like, hi. Like a wellness check. A wellness check. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Do something like that. So... For me, hearing that it was like, just that's it, that bothered me. The next person is a PI named Michael Salisbury, who was court appointed for DeAndre's defense team. He decided to follow up on that lead that officer Nikki Gibbs said about the fact that she saw Bianca at this person's house. And when he goes to the house, he sees Bianca. But this time, he notices that they've shaved Bianca's brows off and that she's dressed like a boy. He decides to immediately alert cops, but when they get there, the baby's gone. I don't I don't even know what to say. I really don't. Child. It's just like there's so many opportunities and all of these adults failed her. Right, because I was just like, if you saw her if you saw her again, why didn't you just snatch her up? Like why didn't you take a picture? Why did I don't know. And when you called the cops, did you stake out the house? Or did you just leave the house? And when did the cops get there? There's mm-hmm. there's no information about this. Hey, everyone. Sorry for interrupting the program. We're going to get right back to it. But I was in the middle of editing the podcast, which is why my mic sounds kind of funky, because I'm at my apartment and I don't have my mic equipment here. Anyways, I realized that I didn't say the time frame. Um, between like Nikki reporting that she saw Bianca versus Michael reporting it. So it was nine months later that he actually had gone to Patrice's house and supposedly also saw Bianca there. I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of shocking, right? Nine months had passed. And if Bianca was really in the same vicinity still, right? Detroit is not that big. Like, imagine the opportunity that everyone had, all the adults had to save her. And yet, well, you know what? Keep listening. And I mentioned that he was part of like the court appointed team for like DeAndre's defense. So yes, DeAndre does end up getting charged with felony murder and with like a child abuse charge. And so yes, trial is going to happen. And that's why I said, you know, it was a court appointed um, private investigator. And how did they, how were they able to get an arrest warrant for DeAndre just based off of the cadaver dog? That was it. That's really insane. And then you have two people saying that she's alive. And these are reputable people. Right, right. These are reputable people, y'all. So how can he go down for felony murder? Right. If there was evidence after the fact. Right. That she was alive. Right. Well... Well, Nikki testifies at his trial and the prosecution rips her apart on the stand because they're just like, they really hammered into her about not holding the scene, right? If you see something like this or if you notice something, why not hold the scene? Why not? But that's on back? her. The, how's that on him? You know, it's just no, kind but of they're, like... But they're trying to get at her credibility. By getting at her, they're getting at him, basically, right? Like, they're trying to get at her credibility as an officer. You have experience, you know? So how is it that you left the scene? But she says, like, you know, I didn't know till two days later, but they're like, even then, you know, they're just hammering on the fact that, like, you, what did you do? Like, they were hammering on the fact of things like she didn't do, basically. Mm -hmm. They were focused on what she did not do, Mm -hmm. not what she thought she could have done. What did you do? And what didn't she do? Mm-hmm. And what she didn't do ended up like really coming back to, you know, get DeAndre. Since I already started talking about the trial, we might as well just fast forward to the trial. And remember, at this point, there is still no body. So, yes, you can be tried for murder, even though there's not a body. It's very rare. But have they gotten convictions? Yes. So they were willing to take that chance here in Detroit, Michigan. So a few things come up at trial. One of the things that come out at trial is the fact that DeAndre's friend, 
Um, his name is Rico Blackwell, apparently saw DeAndre on the morning of the disappearance. And it appears that he might have seen him after he had dropped off the kids at school. But he described seeing DeAndre in a really nice white car. And the car that was carjacked for just visual purposes was like an old Lincoln that was silver, like a, a town car type of thing. Okay. So he says, his friend is saying, I saw him in a nice white car. He was the only person in the car. And he saw that DeAndre had uh, bags in the back seat. He said that him and DeAndre spoke a little bit. He even mentioned to DeAndre, like, I'm running late to class, but DeAndre did not offer to give him a ride or anything like that. He was just like, okay, cool. They exchanged numbers and DeAndre calls Rico's phone. And so, you know, a cell tower does capture this. And this apparently happens at 8.55 in the morning. And it was like a 14 to 18 second call. In different sources I read, they do talk about the fact that there seems to be a time gap that has not been accounted for because if his friend sees him at 8.55 a.m. and the call is like hitting the tower at that point and DeAndre is carjacked at around 9.45 a.m., apparently they could not figure out what happened during that period of time between 9 a.m. and 9.45 a.m. And there's not much out there in terms of resources to kind of let us know and to fill in that gap. So that was something else that was going against DeAndre. But as you'll see, and as you've seen from the beginning, this is a very circumstantial case, because like I said, there is no body. Remember I told you guys how he drove his daughter to school? She apparently testified at trial that DeAndre would beat the kids for like, you know, wetting the bed. And I thought, you know, I don't really like when they have kids testifying because unless they absolutely have to, right? I think it could just be very traumatizing for the kid um, to be speaking, you know, you know, to be on the stand confronting their accuser. It could Mm -hmm. be a lot for a child. Like, it's a lot for an adult. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, damn. But she says in front of the whole court that DeAndre was once so angry at her for wetting the bed that he stuffed her wet underwear into her mouth and ripped the bottom of her tongue. You know, the, the bottom of your tongue where that line is that he ripped that and her mouth was bleeding from it so yeah when she said that that gave me a different perspective all of a sudden i was like huh like you stuffed this underwear into your child's mouth that's very strange yeah i don't know it's very disturbing that's the word that i was looking for yeah they bring up the sheet the fact that it had blood and saliva on it but on exhibit a her mom does say she finds it strange that detectives could never find the urine stained sheets if if she had indeed wet the bed that night why couldn't they present that to the jury were the sheets thrown out i I have no idea i was like well were the sheets that's what i was thinking but i was like i don't know why would you throw out the sheets and you would leave the one that has blood on it wouldn't you get rid of both of them i mean it was apparently just a drop of blood so i'm wondering if it was even visible to the naked probably was invisible um they didn't didn't really didn't think anything of it just Maybe. They didn't really give too much details about that. But Nika, who is Bianca's mom, actually testified for DeAndre. And she said that she does not believe that DeAndre would do this to their daughter. Absolutely not. Okay. But his fiance, Angeli, testified against him. She said that on the day before Bianca disappeared, that she heard... DeAndre kind of yelling at Bianca because she had an accident and that she heard him spanking Bianca. And remember, I kind of mentioned this earlier. She heard her like yelling and stuff, sounded like she was in pain, um, but that she didn't hear Bianca after that. Like he hit her and then she kind of stopped hearing anything at all. But my thing is, if you didn't hear anything at all, why didn't you check on her? Like I was just confused by this narrative because I'm just like, I guess she could say she was uh, afraid and stuff, but you didn't call for help. You didn't call anybody. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit of the bystander effect where you're like, uh, either everything's okay or someone else heard what I heard and they're going to do something about it. Because, hey, Travion was in the house. He's 15. So maybe he'll do something about it. Yeah, but you're the adult. Right, so. right. No, yeah, I agree with you. Um. The international dog handler testified um, that the dog smelled decomposition. And Bianca's mom, 
let me tell y'all Bianca's mom is a character I'm not even lying like she I think she honestly sometimes you try to find humor in like really depressing things but she just didn't understand this whole barking thing because she was like okay the dog barked at the car seat like it was a hand-me-down from Bianca's sister there there's lots of things in it it's dirty She's like, sometimes I bark at it. Like, the thing was filthy. So when she said that, I just was like, this lady, it's kind of funny. But she was basically saying, like, listen, what does that mean, the dog mm-hmm. barking? Like, it could mean anything. How do you know 100% of the time that the dog is really signaling for decomposition and not signaling that they're hungry or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So Michael Salisbury, who was the private investigator, was actually never called to the stand. And it's something that the defense team regrets. I don't know why they didn't call him to the stand. He was the one that saw Bianca dressed as a boy. Right. Apparently, there was also a police officer with a locally trained dog. This officer took the dog out to like around the area where the car was abandoned. And the dog found a ski mask similar to the one that DeAndre had described to cops, but they also were not allowed to testify. They were not allowed to bring in that evidence. And the attorney for DeAndre, of course, was really annoyed by this because he's like, you allow the international dog handler to bring it in, but someone in our own backyard, we can't bring in that evidence? Like, make it make sense? Sounds like a botched trial. It does sound like a botched trial. To a certain extent, I ain't even gonna lie to y'all. I ain't even gonna lie. Unsurprisingly, the jury finds DeAndre guilty of felony murder and of the child abuse charge, and he is sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. I just don't know how they were able to arrive to that conclusion based on the evidence that was presented at trial. Hmm. A lot of it... So, like, you know, what, it was, like, a child endangerment charge, too, or child abuse? Child abuse charge. Okay, I would have found him guilty of that, based on the testimony from his daughter. Right. And the stuffing of the underwear, but in terms of everything else, like, Mm -hmm. I just don't think that there's enough there to go off of. What, the cadaver dog? If I was on the jury, I would... It would be very... It would be so hard for me to say, beyond a reasonable doubt... This person did it. ...that he was guilty. And... And that's the thing, and like with the whole jury trial stuff, you gotta have people on the jury that comprehend what this means, right? Like beyond that's a reasonable why doubt. Jury selection should not just be for like every I mean, citizen, uh, as long as you're yeah. 18 and you're not a felon and X, Y, and Z. Yeah, like, because they wanna make it inclusive. It but doesn't mean, like, okay, but, but honestly, to a certain extent. I'm gonna keep it real with y'all. A lot of lawyers use it to their advantage to get certain people, you know, yeah. on the jury. Um, Because they're hoping that these people really won't think about it too deeply and Mm -hmm. will, you know, not really listen to, like, the law and kind of go based off of, like... Their feelings and their emotions. It's just so wrong. Like, I don't know. Maybe the jurors should be made up of attorneys. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But they found... Or paralegals. I don't know. People that understand the law. Yeah, and you can break it down. Listen, my in my jury class, my professor gave us an exercise one time, like it was an assignment where we had to write jury rules or like jury instructions. Jury instructions. <laughs> <laughs> we had to write jury instructions in a way that anyone reading it could understand, even a five year old. We had to take the most complex jury instructions and do this. And when I tell you it was the most difficult thing to do because you would think you got it right and then you would be forgetting a really important part of the instruction. (laughs) The takeaway from the assignment was like, it's actually not easy to put it in layman's terms for everyone to comprehend it. Mm -hmm. But then why do we have people judging people? Like, like you're making people responsible for sending these people away for life. Like, I don't know. That's a very heavy thing. And honestly, as I was reading and as I was reading this ca- about this case and, and doing my research, I thought about even me sitting on a jury with my experience, right? It's like, I would still be so afraid to mess up because mm-hmm. you just never know. Mm-hmm. You never know. Sometimes Unless the evidence yeah, right, is right. concrete. Unless you got concrete evidence. But here... Yeah. I'm sorry. But like it's here. hard when, especially when it's circumstantial yes. and um, people are testifying. Like, okay, the little girl testifying, that's t- going to tug at my heartstrings because 
I'm sorry, your dad stuffed your wet underwear into your mouth and ripped the bottom of your tongue? Like, wow, that sounds really painful. Mm -hmm. And if he could do that, could he do something else? But see, like, a jury member could think like that too. Mm -hmm. I already know in evidence rules that, like, you really aren't supposed to do that. Like, oh, if he could do A, then he could definitely do B. But, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? But people do that. But people do that. That's the way that you think. And kind of, that's kind of what I was going for, honestly. Um. I just think like jury duty is very tricky and I think it could end up, of course, of course you have someone's life in your hands, but you also have to live with this for the rest of your life. You know, the guilt of like, what if I messed up? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I just think because the victim here is a two-year-old that the jury went in, they already had the decision made before even hearing the case well they try to remember during jury selection which is called voir dire i know but they lie questions okay so basically what they do if you've ever i don't know if anyone has ever been to like can you be fair and impartial well no have you ever been called in for jury duty no if you have you will be asked different questions by like both attorneys right i've done mock trials where i yeah i was the attorney asking well i've done mock trials like that but i've also been there for jury duty um meaning like i've watched voir dire because of the class i took so my professor like made us go to court and watch it live um and you get asked all kinds of questions so like for a case like this that has to do with the disappearance slash murder of a two-year-old you're going to be asked questions like Do you have a two-year-old? Do you have a child? Do you think that if you're shown evidence about a two-year-old disappearing or being murdered, that you would be able to make an impartial decision? Like, you know, they ask certain questions about that case specifically and about the facts of that case. Do you have a family member who has ever been convicted of murdering someone who you believe is innocent? Right. So they Mm -hmm. might ask something like that, too, to see, like, where do you stand? Mm -hmm. You know, um, would you be able to be impartial or or maybe not because you've had a family member go through this and you feel like the justice system works against people who Mm -hmm. look like you? You know what I'm saying? So they do try to ask questions like that. Do they do people answer honestly? No. No. And not for nothing. I have a story about that. I was watching Voidir and a lady next to me admitted that she knew the defendant in the case like she had heard about the case um he was being basically the defendant in the case he was being retried for something he did he had shot somebody in broad daylight the guy was paralyzed now okay the person he shot so something the judge did was wrong so it ended up being turned around like his case got overturned by Mm -hmm. the court of appeals and he was allowed to have a new trial however they don't tell the jury that because they don't want the jury to be tainted they want the jury to think that you know he was just tried for this crime right now like he's going to be tried for the first time Mm -hmm. because think about it if the jury knows that you already went to jail they found you guilty already now in their mind they're like you probably did it Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying so the lady next to me she ended up telling me that she actually had heard about the case before and she knew that he was being tried a second time. Now, mind you, they had already called her up, asked her questions and everything, and she had been selected to be on the jury. Pause. Let me rewind. She tells me this. They had already called her up. Mm-hmm. And she tells me this. And a few minutes later, they announce who's going to be on the jury and she's one of the people. So immediately I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, I kind of have a duty here to say something. And at first, like, I went up to... Um, a black lady in the court because not for nothing it was like a very kind of white court and the judge was I'm not gonna lie he was nasty to me when I said I was there to observe for a class and if I could sit a little closer he said no you could sit in the back like I was Rosa Parks I was like okay I got you I'm gonna sit at the back of the bus it's cool so it was already a little spicy to begin with Mm -hmm. um and so like I was just like nah I'm gonna have to deal with this judge but I knew like I was like I have to say something because it's not right if she sits on the trial Mm -hmm. so yeah I had told this black lady but it was a Friday so the court was closing for the weekend and she was like okay like you know it's no big deal blah 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 like I'll talk to him on Monday I'll tell the judge on Monday I decided to go back on Monday because I was like let me just be there in case they want to call me up to the bench and they ended up calling me up to the bench And I ended up telling him what I knew. And he was really nasty about it, the judge. Um, He's like, why why did she tell you? Why did she tell you? I was like, she was just talking to me because she was talking to me about parking, actually, which is true. She was asking me about, like, the parking meters. And I was like, I don't know about the parking meters. And somehow she told me about the, like, knowing about the guy. 
Mm-hmm. Anyways, they had to redo Voidir. And I'm not kidding. The defendant gave me the nastiest look. I thought the judge hated me. No, the defendant had this look in his eyes. And he gave me that look. And I was like, yeah, he did that shit. The way he looked at me, <laughs> he did it. So I never knew what the outcome was. But at least, like, you know, I spoke up and said something. But yeah, yeah. you did the right thing. I a lot of people so. wouldn't do that. Right. A lot of people would have been like, whatever. Mm-hmm. But or people wouldn't know what to even do with that information. Like, oh, like- Especially because the judge... Again, this guy had been tried in front of this judge. It was this judge that made a mistake. And this judge was retrying him again. So based off of how the judge was towards me, I could have just been like, F this. I'm not even going to tell him. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But I was like, no, it's the right thing to do because, like, she might be, her mind might be made up in a way that's going to affect the defendant negatively, right? Mm -hmm. So I was just like, I'm just going to have to figure it out and just, you know, get some guts and tell the judge. And I did. So there's that. Okay, so all of that to say, someone's going to complain about me telling a story. But, um, all right, so let's talk about things that were learned after the trial. Um, and this was stuff that uh, Terry, who is DeAndre's attorney, mentioned on the show Crime Watch Daily. He said that the owner of the house where, you know, Officer Nikki and that other guy Michael had seen Bianca at, the owner of the house, Patrice Hall, was apparently related to Bonica. Oh. Which... I was really, yeah, I was kind of confused about. He said he had no idea at the time, even though his team had interviewed her, which I thought was interesting. I said, wait, your team interviewed her. So like, what kind of questions were y'all asking her? Like, and why didn't we hear more about this at trial? You know, it it was definitely very interesting. They do ask Benika about this on the same show. And she says that she doesn't know a Patrice Hall, that the only time she knew her name was because they said, hey, we've seen her at Patrice's house, like this lady's house. But she's like, I don't know that lady. Like, how are they saying she's related to me? I don't know, maybe she knows me, but I don't know her. So that was also weird because I was just like, well, how the hell do you guys know? I mean, is there a 23andMe situation? Like, it, it might be. Know? It might this be. This was confusing. Mm-hmm. Like, I hate when shows leave out details where I'm just like, if you just give me another word or <laughs> sentence, you can fill in the gap for us. You can fill it in, but they, they're like, nah, we gonna leave that gap. Anyways, there was also a police report that was found that said that a guy had seen Bianca outside of Bonica's house, like, weeks after the whole disappearance slash murder. Bonica said that that wasn't true. Like, she had never seen her daughter outside her house after the fact. Mm -hmm. But there was an actual police report about it. His lawyer actually thinks that Bonica could be involved in the disappearance of her daughter. He thinks that maybe she was jealous of the fact that he was marrying, you know, Angeli. And, you know, the fact that basically he had them both pregnant at the same time. I mean, mm-hmm. both his daughters were two years old. But she said, you know, she's not jealous of her being with um, her ex. Like, she don't care for him. She's like, he was a terrible boyfriend. Am I supposed to be mad because, what, she gets to be with a cheater? I mean... Vanika is kind of hilarious. I'm not going to lie. But then Angelie comes on the screen. Like, they're just going, like, they're not sitting in the same room, but then her interview comes up. And then Angelie is like, yeah, I had threesomes with Vanika and, and DeAndre. Yeah, we had threesomes together. And then the reporter is like, wait, did you guys get pregnant during these threesomes? Like, at the same time during that threesome? She's like, no. And I just laughed because I was like, wow, he really oh asked gosh. this question. It's a valid question, it's though. Valid. He's like, okay. I'm just wondering if it was during one of these instances that he got both of y'all pregnant at the same time. That's crazy. Um, but then they pan back to Benika, and she's like, well, what does that have to do with anything? Me having a threesome, that has nothing to do with my daughter missing, going missing. Like... So, I don't know. That's just tea for y'all to sip. I don't know. Um, Angelie, DeAndre's fiance, reveals on True Crime Watch Daily that she left out part of the truth in her court testimony. So, she says that she should have elaborated on the fact that Bianca, when she was hit, you know how she said basically that Bianca stopped making noise. She says that apparently after Bianca was hit, that she actually was very talkative and that she was talking and answering questions um, like to DeAndre and stuff and that she should have like elaborated on that, but she was just afraid that they were going to take her own kids and stuff like that. I'm like, that's a big, that's, that's that a huge difference. Completely 
turns the story around right. like upside down. No, it does. I it mean, does. she's not talking. She's quiet versus, oh, yeah, no, she was having full-blown conversations answering everything she was being asked. Yeah. That's a huge... And... Sounds like perjury to me. No, it does. I'm just like, you just left it out? Like, that's kind of important. That's, like, really that weird. That break the... That makes her break... That could make I her was break feeling your like, does the fiance have some sort of vendetta against him? Because right. she technically testified against him. Right. Right? I'm like, oh, it seems like you want him in prison. That's just the vibe I'm getting. But for like, whatever, maybe he like abused her. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. But like, I felt like she probably had her own reasons aside from this case for wanting to see him in prison. But she says she feels guilty that he's in prison and that she didn't mention this. But I'm like, why wouldn't you mention it? If anything, the safest place to mention it is on the stand, right? As they're screaming objection, just keep yelling out, whatever. Because the mm-hmm. jury, even though they're going to tell the jury, ignore what this person says. They still like, hear They're not going to ignore it. They're going to remember it. They're mm-hmm. going to be like, oh, don't use this part in your deliberation. They're going to think about it more. They, like, like, right. why like, can't we think about that part? No, exactly. No? They're going to be like, well, I'm going to think about it some more since you told me not to think about it Mm -hmm. like cool that's bizarre just really weird so what's going on with this case today Benika believes her daughter is alive and was possibly sold like through human trafficking methods that kind of thing she does not believe that DeAndre did it her family though is on the fence they think he might have done it maybe he you know spanked her a little too hard and accidentally killed her because, you know, again, the dog barking at her room, like at her bed, at the trunk, at the undercarriage, at her seat, it's sticking in the mind of her family members. Like, mm-hmm. what are the chances that this dog would do this? But his family believes he is innocent. And with that said, I want to know, what do y'all believe? Do you believe he's innocent? Or do you think... That he did it, that he snapped and he accidentally killed her and that he then put her in the car and and pretended like she was still alive and things like that, because that's the prosecution's theory. I don't know. I don't know what to think. I mean, like, this is one of the first times where I'm just like, I really don't know. Because fine, the prosecution has their theory that he killed her put her in the car she was already dead but then how do you explain people seeing Seeing her her. how do you like yes you know i just don't think that your theory outweighs the fact that people saw her i mean when he was convicted and he was given his sentence he yelled in the courtroom he called the judge by her first name her first name is vonda and he's like vonda you're a liar as he was being escorted right she's like bring him back out here bring him back out I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And she just gives him that whole talk about, and it goes something like, it's unfortunate that you made that statement. You are suffering as a person with what you did, okay? And so I'll let it go. But, like, you know, putting it on the person, like, yeah, you're the one that's messed up. But mm-hmm. he's like, but as he's leaving again, he's just like, you know, like, I'm not lying. I'm not lying, Vonda. And she's like, don't address me as Vonda. But... You know, there's interviews with her after the fact, and she says, you know, that she hopes that she's wrong. She hopes that she can be proven wrong, but, you know, it's out of her hands. I mean, it was a jury trial. It wasn't like a bench trial. Bench trial would mean, like, that there's no jury and the judge decides, which it's very rare that, like, in a criminal trial that someone picks a a bench trial, right? You you don't want one mind deciding. You'd rather have 12 minds. Like, your odds might be a little better if you have 12 heads thinking together. Who don't necessarily understand the law at the same level. Like, each person understands it differently. As opposed to a judge who definitely understands the law. Yeah. It's just so... But, I mean, this one is a... This was a tough one, and I... I don't know. Like, I really just don't know what to think. And, um, you know, we've seen cases that have circumstantial evidence and stuff like that. But I think with canines and stuff, there have been studies that showed that they're not reliable. Mm -hmm. If they're going to bring in that evidence from that particular dog, why not the other dog? You know, Mm -hmm. it just doesn't make sense. So 
All of that to say, Dre's attorney says that the only way Dre will be able to get out is if Bianca is found alive, right? Because then he wouldn't have murdered her. And I mean, it's been, what, 10 years since then? 10, well, more than 10 years, 11 years. So Bianca would be around probably 13 years old. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know what to think. This is one of the cases, really, that I'm just stumped. Like, Mm -hmm. watching him, because a part of me is like, a part of me when I'm watching this and and the interviews and stuff, the police interview, a part of me is like, remember that people can be psychotic and can can lie and make it look like they're not lying. So Mm -hmm. that part of me is remembering that. And then the other part of me is like, yo, like, what if he's really, like, not lying? What if he's really telling the truth? Like, that Mm -hmm. someone carjacked him. Let us know what you guys think. Send us an email. Visit our social media pages, which... I'm pretty sure is linked in our show notes, but you know, you can check us out on Instagram, etc. But we just want to know what y'all think. Do you think that DeAndre is guilty? Or do you think that in the future we might hear about DeAndre's sentence getting overturned? And maybe Vonda will owe him an apology. Yeah. <laughs> Let us know what you think. And we're sending well wishes, of course, to all the families involved because I know it's not easy. It, ain't, it can't be easy. And we hope that people get some sort of peace in all of this. And with that said, we'll see you guys next week for another new episode of It's the Mystery for Me. Stay safe out there. Keep your head on the swivel. Bye. Bye.